Hello everybody and welcome to the 22nd episode of Donna's reading list. Of late I've been at home and it somehow feels like a summer vacation to me. I know it's a very privileged thing to say in these times of covid's uh, uncertainty and the lockdowns but it is what it is. Um staying at home for this long after college ended has felt like a special sort of vacation. and i started to think what was the one story from my childhood which um which just reminded me of um school life and in general and the carefree days of our childhood so as a 90s kid i think it's safe to say that um malguri days is the one story which reminds me of a carefree childhood school life and that is the story which we will be covering on this episode uh, of course i will not be going through the whole of malguri's uh, tales the town has a lot of quirky incidents happening all over it but we will be looking at a special edition of uh, the adventures of swami and his friends called malguri school days and uh, we will be going over the first chapter which is called Monday mornings. So here's the story. Monday mornings, Malguri school days by Arkin Narayan. And I hope all the other 90s kids who are listening to this podcast enjoy this and are reminded of their carefree childhood which was in all honesty a long time ago. Here's the story now. Monday morning. It was Monday morning. Swaminathan was reluctant to open his eyes. He considered Monday specially unpleasant in the calendar. After the delicious freedom of Saturday and Sunday, it was difficult to get into the Monday mood of work and discipline. He shuddered at the very thought of school, that dismal yellow building, the fire-eyed Vedanayagam, his class teacher, and the headmaster with his thin long cane. By 8 he was at his desk in his room which was only a corner in his father's dressing room. He had a table on which all his things, his coat, cap, slate, ink bottle and books were thrown in a confused heap. He sat on his stool and shut his eyes to recollect what work he had for the day. First of course there was arithmetic, those five puzzles in profit and loss. Then there was English. He had to copy down a page from his 8th lesson and write dictionary meanings of difficult words and then there was geography and only 2 hours before him to do all this heap of work and get ready for the school fire-eyed vedanagam was presiding over the class with his back to the long window through its bars one saw a bit of the drill ground and a corner of the veranda of the infant standards There were huge windows on the left showing vast open grounds bound at the other extreme by the railway embankment. To Swaminathan, existence in the classroom was possible only because he could watch the toddlers of the infant standards falling over one another and through the windows on the left see the 1230 mail gliding over the embankment booming and rattling while passing over the Sarayu bridge. The first hour passed off quietly. The second they had arithmetic Vedanagam went out and returned in a few minutes in the role of an arithmetic teacher. He droned on monotonously. Swaminathan was terribly bored. His teacher's voice was beginning to get on his nerves. He felt sleepy. 
The teacher called for home exercises. Swaminathan left his seat, jumped on the platform and placed his notebook on the table. While the teacher was scrutinizing the sums, Swaminathan was gazing on his face, which seemed so tame at close quarters. His criticism of the teacher's face was that his eyes were too near each other, that there was more hair on his chin than one saw from the bench, and that he was very, very bad-looking. His reverie was disturbed. He felt a terrible pain in the soft flesh above his left elbow. The teacher was pinching him with one hand and with the other crossing out all the sums. He wrote, very bad, at the bottom of the page, flung the notebook in Swaminathan's face and drove him back to his seat. Next period they had history. The boys looked forward to it eagerly. It was taken by D. Pillai, who had earned a name in the school for kindness and good humour. He was reputed to have never frowned or sworn at the boys at any time. His method of teaching history conformed to no canon of education. He told the boys with a wealth of detail the private histories of Vasco da Gama, Clive, Hastings and others. When he described the various fights in history, one heard the clash of arms and the groans of the slain. He was the despair of the headmaster whenever the latter stole along the corridor with noiseless steps on his rounds of inspection. The scripture period was the last in the morning. It was not such a dull hour after all. There were moments in it that brought stirring pictures before one. The Red Sea cleaving and making way for the Israelites. The physical feats of Samson. Jesus rising from the grave and so on. The only trouble was that the scripture master, Mr. Ebenezer, was a fanatic. Oh, wretched idiots, the teacher said, clenching his fists. Why do you worship dirty, lifeless, wooden idols and stone images? Can they talk? No. Can they see? No. Can they bless you? No. Can they take you to heaven? No. Why? Because they have no life. What did your gods do when Muhammad of Ghazni smashed them to pieces, trod upon them and constructed out of them steps for his lavatory? If those idols and images had life, why did they not parry Muhammad's onslaughts? He then turned to Christianity. Now see, our Lord Jesus, he could cure the sick, relieve the poor and take us to heaven. He was a real God. Trust him and he will take you to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within us. Tears rolled down Ebenezer's cheeks when he pictured Jesus before him. Next moment his face became purple with rage as he thought of Sri Krishna. Did our Jesus go gadding about with dancing girls like your Krishna? Did our Jesus go about stealing butter like that arch-scoundrel Krishna? Did our Jesus practice dark tricks on those around him? He paused for breath. The teacher was intolerable today. Swaminathan's blood boiled. He got up and asked, if he did not, why was he crucified? The teacher told him that he might come to him at the end of the period and learn it in private. Emboldened by this mild reply, Swaminathan put to him another question. If he was a god, why did he eat flesh and fish and drink wine? As a Brahmin boy, it was inconceivable to him that a god should be a non-vegetarian. In answer to this, Ebenezer left his seat advanced slowly towards Swaminathan and tried to wrench his left ear off. Next day, Swaminathan was at school early. There was still half an hour before the bell. He usually spent such an interval in running around the school or in playing the digging game under the huge tamarind tree. But today he sat apart, sunk in thought. He had a thick letter in his pocket. 
He felt guilty when he touched its edge with his fingers. He called himself an utter idiot for having told his father about Ebenezer the night before, during the meal. As soon as the bell rang, he walked into the headmaster's room and handed him a letter. The headmaster's face became serious when he read. Sir, I beg to inform you that my son Swaminathan of the first form A section was assaulted by his scripture master yesterday in a fanatical rage. I hear that he is always most insulting and provoking in his references to the Hindu religion. It is bound to have a bad effect upon the boys. This is not the place for me to dwell upon the necessity for toleration in these matters. I am also informed that when my son got up to have a few doubts cleared, he was roughly handled by the same teacher. His ears were still red when he came home last evening. The one conclusion that I can come to is that you do not want non-Christian boys in your school. If it is so, you may kindly inform us as we are quite willing to withdraw our boys and send them elsewhere. I may remind you that Albert Mission School is not the only school that this town, Malguri, possesses. I hope you will be kind enough to inquire into the matter and favour me with a reply. If not, I regret to inform you, I shall be constrained to draw the attention of higher authorities to these unchristian practices. I have the honour to be, sir, your most obedient servant, W.T. Srinivasan. When Swaminathan came out of the room, the whole school crowded round him and hung on to his words, but he treated inquisitive questions with haughty indifference. He honoured only four persons with his confidence. Those were the four that he liked and admired most in his class. The first was Somo, the monitor, who carried himself with such an easy air. He said about his business, whatever it was, with absolute confidence and calmness. He was known to be chummy, even with the teachers. No teacher ever put a question to him in the class. It could not be said that he shone brilliantly as a student. It was believed that only the headmaster could reprimand him. He was more or less the uncle of the class. Then there was money, the mighty, good-for-nothing. He towered above all the other boys of the class. He seldom brought any books to the class and never bothered about homework. He came to the class, monopolized the last bench, and slept bravely. No teacher ever tried to prod him. It was said that a new teacher who once tried it very nearly lost his life. Money bullied all strangers who came his way, be they big or small. People usually slunk aside when he passed. Wearing his cap at an angle with a Tamil novel under his arm, he had been coming to the school ever since the old school peon could remember. In most of the classes, he stayed longer than his friends did. Swaminathan was proud of his friendship. While others crouched in awe, he could address him as money, with gusto, and pat him on the back familiarly. Swaminathan admiringly asked whence money derived his power. Money replied that he had a pair of wooden clubs at home, with which he would break the backs of those who dared to tamper with him. Then there was Shankar, the most brilliant boy of the class. He solved any problem that was given to him in five minutes, and always managed to border on 90%. There was a belief among a section of the boys that if he started cross-examining the teachers, they would be nowhere. Another section asserted that Shankar was a dud and that he learnt all the problems and their solutions in advance by his sycophancy. He was said to receive his 90% as a result of washing clothes for his masters. He could speak to the teachers in English in the open class. He knew all the rivers, mountains and countries in the world. He could repeat history in his sleep. Grammar was child's play to him. His face was radiant with intelligence, though his nose was almost always damp 
and though he came to the class with his hair braided and with flowers in it, Swaminathan looked on him as a marvel. He was very happy when he made Mani see eye to eye with him and admit Shankar to their company. Mani liked him in his own way and brought down his heavy fist on Shankar's back whenever he felt inclined to demonstrate his affection. He would scratch his head and ask where the blithering fool of a scraggy youngster got all that brain from and why he should not part with a little of it. The fourth friend was Samuel, known as the P on account of his size. There was nothing outstanding about him. He was just ordinary, no outstanding virtue of muscle or intellect. He was as bad in arithmetic as Swaminathan was. He was as apprehensive, weak and nervous about things as Swaminathan was. The bond between them was laughter. They were able to see together the same absurdities and incongruities in things. The most trivial and unnoticeable thing to others would tickle them to death. When Swaminathan told them what action his father had taken in the scripture master affair, there was a murmur of approval. Somo was the first to express it by bestowing on his admirer a broad grin. Shankar looked serious and said, Whatever others might say, you did right in setting your father to the job. The mighty money half closed his eyes and grunted an approval of sorts. He was only sorry that the matter should have been handled by elders. He saw no sense in it. Things of this kind should not be allowed to go beyond the four walls of the classroom. If he was Swaminathan, he would have closed the whole incident at the beginning by hurling an ink bottle, if nothing bigger was available, at the teacher. Well, there was no harm in what Swaminathan had done. He would have done infinitely worse by keeping quiet. However, let the scripture master look out, Swami had decided to wring his neck and break his back. Samuel the P found himself in an acutely embarrassing position. On the one hand, he felt constrained to utter some remark. On the other, he was a Christian and saw nothing wrong in Ebenezer's observations, which seemed to be only an amplification of one of the commandments. He felt that his right place was on Ebenezer's side. He managed to escape by making scathing comments on Ebenezer's dress and appearance and leaving it at that. The class had got wind of the affair. When the scripture period arrived, there was a general expectation of some dramatic denouement. But nothing happened. Ebenezer went on as merrily as ever. He had taken the trouble that day to plod through the Bhagavad Gita. And this generous piece of writing lends itself to any interpretation. In Ebenezer's hand, it served as a weapon against Hinduism. His tone was as vigorous as ever, but in his denunciation there was more scholarship. He pulled the Bhagavad Gita to pieces after raising Hinduism on its base. Step by step, he was reaching the sublime heights of rhetoric. The class Bible lay uncared for on the table. The headmaster glided in. Ebenezer halted, pushing back his chair and rose, greatly flurried. He looked questioningly at the headmaster. The headmaster grimly asked him to go on. Ebenezer had, meanwhile, stealthily inserted a finger into the pages of the closed Bible. On the word of command from the headmaster, he tried to look sweet and relaxed his brow, which was knit in fury. He then opened his book where the finger marked and began to read at random. It happened to be the nativity of Christ. The great event had occurred. There the divine occupant was in the manger. The wise men of the east were faithfully following the star. The boys attended in their usual abstracted way. It made little difference to them whether Ebenezer was making a study of Hinduism in the light of the Bhagavad Gita or was merely describing the nativity of Christ. The headmaster listened for a while, 
and in an undertone demanded an explanation. They were nearing the terminal examination and Ebenezer had still not gone beyond the nativity. When would he reach the crucifixion and resurrection and begin to revise? Ebenezer was flabbergasted. He could not think of anything to say. He made a bare escape by hinting that that particular day of the week he usually devoted to a rambling revision. Oh no, he was not as far behind as that. He was in the proximity of the Last Supper. At the end of the day, Swaminathan was summoned to the headmaster's room. As soon as he received the note, he had an impulse to run home. And when he expressed it, money took him in his hands, propelled him through to the headmaster's room and gave him a gentle push in. Swaminathan staggered before the headmaster. Ebenezer was sitting on a stool, looking sheepish. The headmaster asked, What is the trouble, Swaminathan? Oh, nothing, sir, Swaminathan replied. If it is nothing, why this letter? Oh, Swaminathan ejaculated uncertainly. Ebenezer attempted to smile. Swaminathan wished to be well out of the whole affair. He felt he would not mind if a hundred Ebenezer said a thousand times worse things about the gods. You know why I am here? asked the headmaster. Swaminathan searched for an answer. The headmaster might be there to receive letters from boys' parents. He might be there to flay Ebenezer alive. He might be there to deliver six cuts with his cane every Monday at twelve o'clock. And above all, why this question? I don't know, sir, Swaminathan replied innocently. I am here to look after you, said the headmaster. Swaminathan was relieved to find that the question had such a simple answer. And so, continued the headmaster, you must come to me if you want any help before you go to your father. Swaminathan furtively glanced at Ebenezer, who writhed in his chair. I am sorry, said the headmaster, that you should have been so foolish as to go to your father about this simple matter. I shall look into it. Take this letter to your father. Swaminathan took the letter and shot out of the room with great relief. End of chapter 1